0: Chapter Five of Eight Girls and a Dog by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Enchanted Princess. The sun was shining o'er the sea, shining with all its might, and it had been doing so for two hours. But no one in Hilarity Hall had awakened to the fact. A loud rap at the kitchen door partially aroused sleepy Jessie, who murmured, "Yes, mamma." and dozed off again but betty was thoroughly awakened by the sound and giving jessie a shake she exclaimed i believe it's that horde of men again then springing up she began to dress hastily the knocking not only continued but was supplemented by other peremptory sounds a ring at the front door bell a toot on a tin fish horn the postman's whistle and all of which were responded to by frantic barkings from timmy lou who tore madly from one door to another bouncing at last to betty's room and waltzing before her on his hind legs his fat little body was quivering with excitement and his bright eyes blinked through the wispy locks that hung over them but betty was struggling with a stiff shirt waist and a pair of sleeve links and her fruitless endeavors to bring them into harmony rendered her incapable of good work in that direction then timmy lou grew widdlesome and patted betty's foot as was his custom when he wanted anybody to go anywhere betty pushed him aside a little impatiently it seemed to tim and he ran to jessie who was enjoying the added luxury of betty's pillow and looking as if she would stay there undisturbed though china fell but the second story contingent was also aroused by this time and six frazzled heads hung over the banister and twelve bare feet poked themselves between the rails can you go betty said marguerite's plaintive voice i'll be down in a minute sang aunt marjorie as she skipped back to her room and made things fly oh hang said betty throwing her links down on the bureau and flinging her shirt-waist across the room Take mine, dear, said Jessie placidly. It's on that chair, and the buttons are all in it. Betty's face cleared, and she slipped on Jessie's waist in a jiffy and was at the front door in another. There she found the postman and a pleasant faced Irish girl who said, I'm rosy, mum. You are indeed, said Betty, looking at her red cheeks. Come in. Just then, Hester landed in the lower hall with a jump which had included the last four stairs. "'I'm glad to see you, Rosie,' she said kindly. "'Come along with us, and we'll face the bombardment.' Rosie, looking somewhat bewildered, followed the two girls to the kitchen. Going through, Betty unlocked the door, which opened into a sort of outer kitchen, or shed with latticed and morning-gloried walls. The door of the shed, too, was barred. And when this was finally unfastened, instead of looking for the multitude, they saw only the red-haired grocer sitting dejectedly on the stump of a tree. He took off his cap as he saw the girls, and his hair blazed merrily in the sunshine. "'Mornin', young girls,' said he. The fishman couldn't wait no longer, and the vegetable man likewise was in a hurry. "'But I says I'll wait for like as not.' "'There'll be things you forgot, overnight, besides fresh orders.' "'Yes,' said Hester, abstractedly. "'But couldn't you come round again later?' "'We're—we haven't decided what we do want.' "'Well, no, Mum, I couldn't call later, not to say later. "'I'll be round again to deliver the goods, but not to take orders.' "'I'll tell you what, Hester,' said Betty.' don't order now and after breakfast some of us can ride over on our wheels and leave the order in time for him to bring the things er what shall i call you sir daniel mum well daniel we won't give you any order now but we'll send it over to the store all right mum and looking a little injured the red-haired one shambled off now said betty we must have breakfast first of all and as i cooked most of the dinner last night it isn't my turn this morning marguerite's the matron of this establishment and i think she ought to assume some responsibility so do i said betty let's go and read the riot act to her no said hester let's write a mandamus or habeas corpus or whatever they call it and send it up to her by rosie and we'll go for a spin on our wheels whisking a leaf off the order pad betty wrote in large letters Matron Marguerite of Hilarity Hall will prepare and serve breakfast this Friday morning in the refectory covers laid for eight. There, Rosie, take that upstairs and knock at the first door at the head of the stairs and give this to the young lady with the flyaway yellow hair, the one that came to see you last night, you know, Miss Marguerite. Yes, mum said Rosie then hester and betty each drank a tumblerful of fresh milk farmer harbs had brought and in great glee started off on their wheels while timmy lou scampered along behind it seems mean to run away said hester but betty replied not at all it's only fair that daisy should do some work let's go around by the church and down that road to the beach Rosie started obediently on her errand but Jessie stopped her as she passed the door, inquiring. Where did the girls go? I couldn't tell you, miss. They went gallopin' away on their bicycles. They did? What about breakfast? They told me to give this note to Miss Marguerite. Oh-ho, said Jessie, reading the notice. They did, did they? Well, take it up, Rosie. And Jessie sauntered out on the piazza and sniffed the salt morning air. Rosie went upstairs with the note, but her knock at the door received no response. After another gentle rap, she opened the door to find the room vacated. The bed clothing was thrown back, and the windows wide open. Fix, they've been spirited away, thought the astonished maid. If this ain't the quarrest family, I'll be a livin' if things go on like this. Uncertain how to proceed, She returned to the kitchen and sat down with folded hands to await developments. Helen came downstairs next. Seeing nobody around, she went into the kitchen and looked amazed at the solitary Rosie. "'Where is everybody?' began Helen. "'Sure I don't know, Mum. Them as was in the house went out, and the rest was gone before.' "'Well, of all performances!' And Helen wandered out to the front veranda and discovered Jessie there. Now the front door of Hilarity Hall was at the side, and so faced Aunt Molly's front door, which was also on the side. And just as the two puzzled-looking maidens met on their veranda, Aunt Molly stepped out on hers. Good morning, girlies! Had your breakfast? No, said they. Come over and breakfast with us, cried jolly Uncle Ned, not expecting at all that they would do so but helen replied indeed we will for i'm awfully hungry and it doesn't look at all hopeful over here and the two girls ran across and gratefully seated themselves at aunt molly's cosy table and that's how it happened that the mystified Rosie waited alone in the silent kitchen until she could stand it no longer and resolved to take her hat and go home but first she thought she would go upstairs and make sure that the fairy-like miss marguerite had not reappeared in the same mysterious fashion in which she must have taken her departure but no she found the room still empty uncertain what to do she opened the door of the next room and there were millicent and marjorie who had returned to bed and to sleep just waking up startled at the sudden apparition the apparition was startled too and she exclaimed oh young ladies i was thought scared sure there's nobody in the house at all At all, save in your prisons. Millicent could think no explanation for this extraordinary statement, but that didn't bother her in the least. Here was a dramatic situation just to her mind, and she grasped it at once. Who are you? she said in a low, mysterious whisper. Rosie O'Neill, miss, said the Irish girl fascinated by Millicent's gaze. Rose O'Neill, continued Millicent, pronouncing it, as if it were one word and speaking in a thrilling tone i am a princess the princess millikins this lady beside me is my first gold stick in waiting but alas we are under an enchantment and dare not leave this bed if i were to set foot on the floor i should at once be changed into a red dragon breathing forth fire and flames "Oh, lord miss exclaimed rosy clasping her hands and gazing horror-stricken at millicent's tragic face but there is one thing that will break the direful spell went on the mendacious maiden if one should bring me a mug of mead and a golden pomegranate then i would be freed from the enchantment and regain my liberty what's them things miss could i get them for you alas no they grow in the land of the cypress and myrtle where afric's sunny fountains roll down their golden sand. But a base imitation might answer the purpose. Is there aught of food below? Plenty of milk and bread, miss, and I can make you a toast. Rose O'Neill, truly thou art a man of infinite resource and sagacity. But stay, can you indeed make a golden toast which may play the part of the missing pomegranate? I want no slice of charred bread. Listen, I will give minute- directions which if faithfully carried out may be the means of releasing my royal highness and my gold stick who is alas dumb and incapable to speak for herself from our unfortunate predicament first cut two slices from the last night's loaf this morning's bread is too fresh to toast let them be of even thickness about the thickness of a lead pencil then Having trimmed off the upper crusts, lay them in the oven. The slices, I mean, not the crusts. Then get the little Japanese tray from the sideboard and lay on it a fresh napkin from the upper drawer. Find one that fits. Then add two of those gold-edged plates and two thin glass tumblers. Now pour milk in the tumblers until it reaches three-quarters of an inch from the top. But have a care that no drip or drop appears on the glass above the sea level have a bit of butter in readiness and now comes the exciting part toast your bread over a clear bright fire have you one handy yes miss princess I mean that's right or say yes your royal highness well then make your toast with the greatest care brown first one side and then the other until each is a clear golden crisp that may deceive the enchanter into thinking it is a golden pomegranate then the moment is done spread it lightly with a bit of butter lay it on the plate and fly upstairs that we may nibble the portion in all its pristine hotness hast thou understood me o maiden yes your royal highness but wouldn't you like some jam Rose O'Neil i am your friend and therefore your future is assured right heartily will i like jam if jam there be place a generous spoonful on a small glass saucer but prepare it ere thou toastest thy toast and lay also on the tray a silver knife and spoon now hie thee to thy task and we may yet cheat the enchanter of this dire intent but beware of a crumb or a drop out of place all is lost unless it be conveyed hither with neatness and dispatch and before you go please hand me my golden crown which is on the bureau i don't see it your highness there's nothing there but brushes and hairpins what my crown has been stolen a day. what shall i do bring me a bunch of goldenrod and we may devise a temporary coronet that shall at least proclaim my rank and station disappear and millicent waved her hands in such an impressive gesture that rosie shot out of the door as if under the influence of a real enchantment marjorie lay back on her pillows choking with laughter in millicent's dramatics and wondering whether rosie would really bring them some breakfast end of chapter five